Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Both of these conditions, they pull us away from that correct understanding, that correct reasoning. They cloud up our our, our minds in order that we might make true, clear, spiritual decisions. When in that condition, beloved, the Spirit of God is no longer leading or directing our lives. We're blinded from being able to see the truth of the signs and we're fogged over in the understanding of the times even that we're in right now. And Jesus even warns us, be careful, don't get caught up, don't get weighed down by the cares of this life. In today's message, Pastor David warns us against becoming intoxicated, both in a physical capacity as well as mentally or spiritually, with cares and distractions of this world. Both forms distract us from the fullness of an intimate relationship with God. Drunkenness may be easy to avoid for most of us, but amusements of this world often sink their claws into us in a more subtle manner. One distraction follows another, emails, texts, Facebook, and before you know it, you can't remember the last time you spent time with God. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Look Up, Look Out, Look In. already dealt with the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem up in verses 20 through 24. I believe here he's speaking of the next set of events, the times and the events that had not nor ever will be again on earth. Those things we just spoke about in verses 25 through 28. So here in verse 31, he's simply reiterating the message and the warning that he shared with them earlier. When you see these things, look up, lift up your heads, your redemption's drawing nigh. And also that call to look out. When you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Jesus then adds another spin to his message. Look at what he says there in verse 32. He says, assuredly, I say to you that this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth are gonna pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Well, what did he mean there? What's he saying that the total end of all things was going to happen before that present generation of those hearing him had passed away? What generation was he speaking about? Well, on one hand, we did see a, a partial fulfillment of that. We saw a partial fulfillment because the generation that he was speaking to They saw the destruction of the temple. They saw the destruction of Jerusalem and of Israel. But that was only a partial fulfillment of all that was taking place. Less than a generation, the very people that were listening to Jesus saw those things taking place. However, when that happened, 
that destruction of the temple and of Israel in 70 AD, we did not see the events that Jesus is speaking of here taking place. We did not see the signs in the sun or in the moon or in the stars and on the earth, the distress of nation with perplexity and on. We know that he's speaking about something much greater here, something that John refers to uh, or refers to in the book of Revelation. John in the book of Revelation is given a vision of those last of the last days, that time of great trials. In Revelation 16, which we looked at again last week, he speaks of that there will be a time of foul and loathsome sores that come upon men. Every living creature in the sea dying, that there would be noises and thunderings and lightnings, there would be great earthquakes, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Great hail from heaven fell upon men, such hailstorms about the weight of a talent, men blaspheming God because of the plague of the hail. That did not happen in 70 AD. There is no way that you could look at that and you would have to really stretch this whole idea of analogies and illustrations and similitudes to even begin to make that fit 70 AD. All of these things, beloved, these are great tribulation events. These are things that are yet to take place. So what generation is Jesus saying when he says this generation will by no means pass away till these things take place? I believe it's very clear. He's speaking about that generation that sees those signs. They see the final and the very definite signs of his soon second coming, and of the very essence of the events of that great tribulation. His words are an encouragement, actually. And you think of that, wow, what kind of encouragement is that? No, it's an encouragement to the generation that's going through these things. That, look, this isn't the way it's going to be forever. This is only a short period of time. What you're going through right now, the, the, the pain, the tribulation and all, during that great tribulation time, he's telling these Jewish listeners, this Jewish audience, when these things start happening, you need to know, man, don't get so overwhelmed. Look up, your redemption is drawing nigh. Look out, realize the signs and understand, no, God's kingdom is soon to take place and all of this will end. The tribulation will not last forever. There's going to come a time when all that see and experience all of those things going on in the world, he says, you're going to realize, man, all that stuff's going to pass away. Everything's going to change at the end of that time, at the end of that tribulation time. Heaven, verse 33, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. It's interesting when we think heaven and earth are going to pass away. That means everything that you and I see, feel, touch, can, can see and understand right now, it's all going to burn. It's all going to be done away with. We, we see this previously in the Old Testament. Isaiah gives to us in Isaiah 65, verse 17, the words of the Lord when he declares, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Now, he's not talking about a remodeling plan for the earth. No, he's talking about a brand new one. Would you rather remodel a house or get a brand new one? Uh, Jesus is saying, no, we're not remodeling this thing. We're done with this thing. It's going to be done away with. Not only does Isaiah speak of that, but the apostle Peter in his writings, in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter writes these words down in verse 10. He says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night 
in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Man, is, is this just an analogy? Is this an illustration? No, this is the reality, and Peter has been given this message from the Lord. He goes on. He says, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. It's all going to burn, folks. It's all going to burn. Peter goes on in verse 11 there. He says, therefore, since all of these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? What are you holding on to in this world that's affecting your Christian life? What are you, what, what's controlling you here in this temporary place that's going to end up affecting you for all of eternity? He says, no, we ought to be holy in conduct and in godliness. He says, we need to be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, and he's speaking to believers now, Peter is speaking to believers, we look for new heavens at a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Righteousness is not going to dwell on this earth in the way that it's going to dwell in that new earth. And once again, we have one more, a threefold confirmation on the reality of this. Actually, it's fourfold if you count Jesus' teaching. We have Isaiah, we have the teachings of Jesus, we have Peter. We also have the writing of John in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 21, John says, And now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And he says, and also there was no more sea. Completely different. Completely different than anything you and I have ever experienced. Now, within Jewish understanding, and, and even with the information that we find within the Word of God, you need to see that there is actually three different designations for heaven to be considered. Three different designations of heaven. The first heaven is, again, our sky, our, our, our atmosphere, the, the clouds that we see, the air that you and I breathe above the earth, what we see within our own atmosphere. That's the first heaven. In Jewish thought and understanding, the second heaven is, again, the, the stars and the planets and the universe as a whole. But the third heaven that's where God dwells. And this is also where Paul was rather in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, but God knows. Paul says, I was caught up into the third heaven. That's the place where God dwells. And all that we know of this realm and all that we see here of this realm, of this terra firma, is going to burn, but he's going to make all things new again, and his word will always remain. That's a promise of God, folks. That's a promise that you and I have that nothing that's going on right now is permanent. Nothing. Uh, sometimes it, it feels like eternity, but it's not eternity right now. What God has in store, what God has in plan is totally new. And Jesus shares this truth with them. He continues on by giving them uh, this, this stern, a very serious warning back here in Luke. And this warning is laid out not only for that Jewish audience of that day, but it's laid out for all of us, really. In verse 34, there in Luke 21, he says, Take heed to yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you unexpectedly. 
for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Earlier in this message, as a word of encouragement, as we shared, Jesus told them, look up, your redemption is drawing nigh. Secondly, he told them to look out, see, recognize, and understand the signs of the times. But now he is telling them to look in, to look in, take heed of yourselves. And that's a word just as necessary and just as needful for you and I here today. How easy it is to get caught up in the things of this world and neglect that looking in, looking into our own soul's condition. The Apostle Paul even tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, as he speaks to believers, he says, examine yourselves. See if you're in the faith or not. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Be certain, this isn't just a one time, it's not just a one shot thing. I think that it needs to be continually uh, uh, taking an account, taking an inventory of our lives in the midst of the cares and concerns of the world, in the anticipation of his soon return, whether it be in the rapture of the church or in that final second coming, since we have an understanding of certain prophetic elements that are going on even in the world today. Beloved, I think that we continually need to be taking heed of ourselves. What's going on within my life? What's going on within my heart, my passions, my desires, my thought life? Am I really being led by the things of God's Spirit or am I being led, pushed, and drugged by the things of the world? How easy it would be for us to get out of focus of where we need to be spiritually, each one of us in our own personal lives. Jesus warned his followers that it's way too easy to get caught up or weighed down by carousing drunkenness, and the cares of this life. Now again, here he's warning us not to allow these things of the world to, to come and, and fill our lives with this soullessness, this, this, this sinful emptiness, to dull or to numb our, our, our senses, to, to overwhelm or distract us from the truth that we know and the path that we're on. It's interesting to note that the words there that he uses for carousing and drunkenness, very similar of meaning, but a little bit of differences. The word he uses for carousing means a, a perpetual drunkenness, a sustained intoxication leading to dizziness and staggering. You know what he's speaking about there, right? Some of you by experience, some of you prayerfully, hopefully from a long distance, okay? But it's very near the, 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 the understanding of that word that's translated as drunkenness. But drunkenness, this word deals with a temporary state resulting in, in, in the use, the excessive use or consumption of alcohol. He warns them both, to, uh, uh, um, whether it be a sustained state or a temporary state. Man, you don't let yourself get intoxicated. And we can be intoxicated by a lot of things, can't we? not just alcohol that intoxicates. Man, it's the cares of this world. It's the desires of the flesh. It's the attractions of this world. It's the, the, the pull of the things that, man, suddenly, man, my mind, everything. No, man, I, I'm not walking with, with fullness and understanding. No, I'm, I'm drugged over here this way, and I'm pushed over here and pulled this way. Why? Because I'm intoxicated by the things of this world rather than being filled with the Spirit. 
whether it be continual or whether it be temporary, both of these conditions, they pull us away from that correct understanding, that correct reasoning. They cloud up our, our, our minds in order that we might make true, clear spiritual decisions. When in that condition, beloved, the Spirit of God is no longer leading or directing our lives. We're blinded from being able to see the truth of the signs and we're fogged over in the understanding of the times even that we're in right now. And Jesus even warns us, be careful, don't get caught up, don't get weighed down by the cares of this life. And isn't that exactly what the parable of the soils spoke about on one of those soils? The seed was the word of God. It was scattered out there. It took root very quickly and it sprung up. It looked like it had life. But even before it began to bear fruit, it says that the cares and the concerns of this world, just like weeds, weeds came up and choked it out because they were so concerned about the cares and concerns of this world that their spiritual life was choked out. And that's exactly what Jesus is warning them here. And for you and I, beloved, that warning remains. Rather, being caught up and, and snared by the world in such a way as he describes, uh, whatever it might be, we need to take heed to ourselves. We need to watch out. We need to pray always. The enemy of our souls will do everything that he can to find your weakness, your areas of vulnerability, those things that will draw your attention away from God's intended purpose in your life. And you know what? Your weakness is different than my weakness. My strength is different than your strength. So it's not just one thing. No, he knows you. Believe me, he knows us. He knows what's called our Achilles heel. He knows the weakness of our strength. He knows the, the chink in our armor where he can zero in and pull those things to distract us, to discourage us, to pull us away from the truth of God's word. So let me ask you this morning, are you standing yourself? Have you taken heed of yourself? And do you know that you are standing in a position of power because the Holy Spirit is able to freely work within you? Or beloved, are you in a situation of powerlessness because of the snares of the things of this world and your flesh? What's in control in your life? Are you faithful in your walk or are you continually staggering around? Intoxicated by the cares and the attractions and the distractions of this world. You're made drunk simply by the temporary pleasures of the flesh and of this life. As we move on, we understand in what Luke is writing here. Jerusalem was a busy place, and as Jesus finishes this teaching, we realize that now they've left Jerusalem. They're headed up to the Mount of Olives. It's an interesting point. We find in the Scriptures, we never see Jesus spending the night in Jerusalem. He never spends the night in Jerusalem. You think, well, why would that be? Would it be because he, he sees that spiritual rottenness, that, that materialism that was found within the temple? And he says, man, I'm not going to spend my life in that. I'm not going to even spend the night in that. Maybe he just simply saw the sinfulness and the worldliness that, that were found in, in the hearts of all the leadership and, yeah, and in many of the people throughout that city. 
Whatever it was, Jesus knew he had to take a break. He had to get out of there. Oh, he went into the world to minister to the world. But then he, on a regular basis, pulled himself away, spending the night there on the Mount of Olives. He went into the temple. He taught the people. He ministered to the people there. But he knew, man, I need to go. I need to get refreshed. And we see it there down in verse 37. As it says, and in the daytime, he was teaching in the temple. But at night, he went out and stayed on the mountain called Olivet. Then early in the morning, all the people came to him. Where? in the temple again to hear him. He would go and spend the night on the Mount of Olives, then come back early in the morning, very early in the morning, probably even before sunrise. And the people, by the time sunrise came, were already there to listen to him. And all day long, he would minister and minister to them. And you need to understand, this is the last couple of days. This is the last hours of his physical life here prior to his crucifixion, knowing full well that the cross was before him. But he knew, as I minister here, I need to get away. There was a disciplined pattern, a habit in his life to break away from all the hecticness of this life and to get refilled and re-empowered and redirected by the Father. I believe that Jesus actually turned his cell phone off. You know, not just put it on buzz. No, we're going to turn it off. I believe he probably really hid the remote control for the TV in the drawer. I I don't even want to see it. Because he knew he had to have time with the Father. And there's so many... Oh, let me me just check my email real quick. Oh, my phone just dinged. Something important's happening. I've got, I've got to check that. I know this is not an issue with some of you, but for some of us it is, okay? He knew he had to shut off the distractions. He knew he had to shut off the cares of this world in order that he might clearly communicate with the next world, with his Father, with his Father's kingdom. He knew he had to spend time with the Father. He knew he had to get refreshed, restored, and re-energized for the work of the ministry. Beloved, because he knew that that ministry that he was doing was leading him to the cross. It was leading him to the cross. Not, uh, not an illustration of the cross, not an analogy, not an imagery of the cross, not even a parable of the cross, beloved, but leading him to a Roman cross where he was crucified. He was executed for the sin of all mankind. He was headed to the cross, the cross of painful crucifixion, in order to make the preparation for you and me to receive forgiveness of our sin and fellowship with the Father. In the midst of all the ministry that he was doing and and, and loving on the people, he was headed for the cross, the cross of painful crucifixion, in order to make the preparation also for his soon coming again. You see... He wouldn't have come again. There would have been no reason to come again unless he allowed himself to go to the cross. He went to the cross purposefully. He surrendered himself to the cross. No man took his life. He gave his life willingly in order that he might take upon himself the sin of all mankind, in order that he might make the payment for our sin, in order that as the word of God declares, whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved.
Learning more about Jesus is the single most important thing we can do as Christians. As we carefully consider how Jesus lived, we see beautiful examples that can apply to our lives. Though the entire Bible is rich with symbols and images that point to Jesus, the Gospels are grand central station for who Jesus is. Join us each day as Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word. from we-